Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. You're so holy, Jesus. Come on, there's such a sweet presence of the Lord in this room. God, come and have your way, have your way. All around the room right now, can we just lift up Jesus? Hallelujah. Can we invite his presence in this place? He's here to heal. He's here to deliver. He's here to set free the captive. He's here to give hope to the hopeless. Hallelujah, Jesus. Holy are you, Lord. Hallelujah, holy are you, Lord. Jesus. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hey, thank you, Jesus. Come on for just a minute. Can we forget about the busyness of life? Forget about everything going on in our world right now. Let's just let the presence of God settle into this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the book of Genesis, just four chapters apart, we see a contrast in two experiences in the life of Jacob. First, in chapter 28, the Bible tells us Jacob came to a place and he's weary from running. He's in a place of uh, retreat because of his fleshly nature, his deceitfulness, and now he's running. Now he's tired from his journey, and the Bible says he stops so tired that he makes, he uses a, a rock for a pillow. That, that's how you know you're tired. The Bible says that as he's sleeping there, that he has a vision. And in this vision, angels descend and ascend from and back to heaven. The Bible says that Jacob sleeps, sleeps right through this encounter. He wakes up, and to me, one of the most sad, I guess, scriptures in the Bible, Jacob says, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. And he calls the place dreadful. Four chapters later, though, jo Jacob has another opportunity because the Bible says he crosses over a body of water, and when he does, the theophany, the, an angel, if you would, a representation of heaven meets him there. And Jacob says, I'm not sleeping through it this time. I slept through it last time, but I'm not sleeping through it this time. And the Bible said he got a hold. He got a hold of the presence of God. If you could say it this way, he got a hold of what God was trying to do in his life. And he said, I'm not going to call this place dreadful. I'm not leaving here the way that I came. And I don't think the most terrible thing is not being in the presence of God. I think the most terrible thing is being there and not getting a hold of what God is trying to do. The presence of God is in this room right now. God can do anything. We sang about it a minute ago. He's a God of miracles. Where's Brother Rivera at? Brother Rivera's back there. We testify he's a God of miracles. Amen. 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 Just 
a little over a week ago, I was there in the hospital room and it wasn't looking good. The doctors weren't giving Brother Rivera much hope. Amen. They were talking about seeing if the, if the enemy could, or not the enemy, if the machine, the ventilator could sustain him. And they were going to pull the plug and see if there was any brain activity. They were sure there was brain damage. But Brother Rivera's back there today. No brain damage. He's alive and well. Amen. Come on, we serve. But you got to get a hold of what God is trying to do. You got to get a hold of what God is trying to do in your life. I'm not going to wake up and say, I missed my moment. But I'm going to get a hold of what God is trying to do in this place right now. Hallelujah. Lord, whatever you're trying to do, God, whatever you're trying to change in me, you can do it right now, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I wonder, could you reach over and pray for your neighbor right now? I wonder, couldn't you just pray with somebody around you right now? Come on. Somebody you care about. I care about you too much to let you miss what God is trying to do in this place. It's not, it's not for a certain group of people. It's not for a certain race or a, saying, a certain language. It's for everybody. Come on, heaven is in this place right now. The presence of the Lord is in this place. Heaven has come down to earth. When we worship him, he inhabits the praise of his people. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we inhabit your praise, God. We inhabit, God, your presence. As you move right now among us, Lord, we reach out. Yes, Lord, we get a hold of what you're trying to do. And we declare the faith of God. We declare the word of God. We declare the power of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Just one more time. Would you reach over without music playing right now, without music? just want you to reach over and pray with somebody. I just want the only sound we hear right now to be prayer. Come on, us seeking heaven to do something in earth. That's the prayer Jesus taught his disciples, that you should pray that my kingdom come and my will be done in earth the same way it's done in heaven. Lord, we want your will to be done. We want heaven, God, to invade earth right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you do me a favor? I asked Brad to play a sound clip for me in my preaching. Tell him when I say, uh, after I say it's a force of nature. Um, a sound, a sound, just a sound unparalleled by any else of God's creation. I'll pause there and he can play the clip. Unparalleled by anything God's creation. Anything, and, and give me a thumbs up to let me know he's got it queued up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. It doesn't have to be thunder and lightning. There doesn't have to be music playing. He hears the prayers of his people. Come on. He hears the cries of the righteous. He hears the cry of that one that is reaching out today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, God, let heaven come down to earth. 
God, let your kingdom come and your will be done. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, y'all can play again. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Let's thank him. Hallelujah. Let's thank him for his presence. You just never know. You never know what God has done or when he's done it. I don't, I don't know, Brother Rivera. I know we were praying, but I, I don't know the moment that God heard our prayer and moved into that room and, and turned the course. I don't know when it was, but I know somewhere in the midst of a church praying, God stepped in and intervened. Amen? And I don't know. I don't know what God has done today. We may not know it while we're here in this building. It may not be till you get home and you recognize, man, I, I haven't felt peace like this in a long time. I haven't felt joy. It's been a long time since I haven't had that dark spirit of depression. I don't know when it happened. I just know that it did. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. 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 Give, give your neighbor a high five. Amen. Tell him how good God is. Amen. Use some big colorful adjectives for how good God is. He's amazing. He's spectacular. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Come on. He knows everything. There's nothing he can't do. Hallelujah. He's all powerful. Hallelujah. The heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. What a mighty God we serve. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. Amen. How many of you are excited about Easter Sunday coming up just two weeks from today? And Wednesday night we talked a little bit about what we're doing to prepare for the crowd. Amen. We're anticipating a great crowd. And we've got overflow space set up. But we need you to invite your friends. We need to invite your enemies for that matter. Amen. Invite anybody and everybody that you can think of that needs Jesus. And by the way, everybody needs Jesus. Amen. So let's invite people to come out. There are people that will come to church on Easter Sunday that wouldn't even consider it any other week of the year. Amen. Just really quickly, some of the things that we have helping us today. I know technology has its drawbacks, but also some things in our favor. That is this. There are going to be people that are going to go on to Google, and they're just going to simply Google what, what church is around me. Or where can I go to church on Easter? They might even ask Siri. And Google is going to give them some results. And there are some practical things we can do that are easy. You don't have to say, I'm afraid to knock doors. You don't have to knock doors. What we need you to do today, if you can, is go on to Google, type in Living Hope MD, and then give us a review. Give the church a review, all right? And, you know, if it's, if it's four stars or less, just keep your review to yourself. <laughs> all right? Because the, the higher and the more reviews we get, when people type in church, we'll be the first one that pops up. All right? So give us a, good re give us a review on Google and one on Yelp. Those are the two most uh, search locations. And then the third thing that we can do is we've put out a Facebook ad promoting our Easter service. And we just ask those of you that have Facebook, amen, go find that, that, that uh, promotion for Easter Sunday and share that to everybody that's following you, all right? Three very easy things that we can do that may very well be the thing that saves somebody's soul for eternity. All right? May very well be the thing. How many of you can do that today? All right? If you don't have a computer, you might not be able to. But other than that, if you can do that, that would be awesome. Amen? Amen. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was 
sore troubled for this thing, called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha. The prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Amen. It sounds like Google or Apple, Instagram. And he said, Go and find where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. Down to verse 24 in the same chapter. It came to pass after this that Benadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. He surrounded, he put an ambushment around Samaria. And because of that, there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver. And the fourth part of a calf of dove's dung was for five pieces of silver. I think I know what words might be on your child's paper today. So you might want to censor those today. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow, everybody say tomorrow. About this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Amen. I want to preach for just a few minutes today on the first sermon in this series. Amen. We're going to be talking about daybreak. Amen. A new day is dawning. And I want to preach today for just a little while on this thought. Finish the famine. Amen. It's time, if I could say it this way, to finish the famine. Or if I could say it this way, loosing tomorrow's feast. Amen. Do you know you have the power to declare and loose tomorrow's feast? You can either live in today's famine, you can either dwell in yesterday's famine, or you can lose tomorrow's feast. I say let's finish the famine, amen? Amen. Turn to somebody nearby you right now and tell them it's time to finish the famine. And then you may be seated. We war against an enemy and an adversary whose tactics the Bible describes as cunning, crafty, and calculated. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the writer describes the devil to be an adversary who goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The roar of the lion is a force of nature. How many of you have ever heard the roar of a lion? Anybody? Not, not in a zoo you've heard the roar of a lion. One of you, amen, the fastest one in the room on that day, amen. The roar of the lion is a force of nature, a sound unparalleled by anything else in God's creation. I told him to go easy. We could have really had fun with that one. Just that sound. The roar of the lion is so powerful that it can be heard up to five miles away. The roar of a lion can be measured at up to 114 decibels. To put that in perspective, the sound of a jet engine on an airplane is only six decibels louder, beginning at 120 decibels. 
The roar of a lion is 25 times louder than the loudest noise a human being could ever produce. You parents of little ones are not believing that right now, but it's true. And yet zoologists tell us that lions don't usually roar when they hunt. Peter said that the lion, the adversary goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But zoologists tell us that lions rarely, if ever, roar when they're in the midst of a hunt. It would be counterproductive for a lion to roar in the middle of a hunt. It would alert their prey to their presence. See, lions have two primary tactics when they're hunting. The first and preferred strategy is to take their prey by surprise. In stealth-like fashion, they patiently stalk their victim, concealing themselves among the tall grass or within the thick brush. And when the unsuspecting prey is off guard, they attack quickly and subdue their prey. The fight is over before it even begins. With this tactic, the lion would never roar. It would alert, again, the unsuspecting animal and ruin the element of surprise. Yet when the lion discovers a prey that is unmanageable in isolation, in other words, the lion surveys the situation and says, I can't take this enemy by myself. I can't take this adversary on my own. I can't take this prey in isolation. They realize that if they attack the prey alone, they, that the prey is too quick to corner, too brave to back down, and too powerful to plunder. And so when the lion, the mighty lion, surmises the situation and they realize that without help, amen, that it could be to my hurt and possibly even my demise, that then and only then will the lion roar. Because the roar... Of the, of the lion is not a tactic of intimidation, but rather a tactic of communication. When they let out that roar, it's not to intimidate their prey, but rather to communicate with other lions that might be in the region from miles around. When those other lions in the pride hear the roar of that lion, they will begin to come from all sides of the jungle. They will begin to come from all sides there in the prairie where they dwell, and they will encircle and they will ambush their enemy. Amen. Understand that when the lion roars, it's because what he is attacking is too powerful for him to handle on his own. And so when Peter said that your enemy is like a roaring lion, it's because you're too powerful for the devil to handle on his own. Some of you, the enemy has you backed into a corner and he has you intimidated by his roar, but you need to recognize you're greater than you think you are. You're more powerful than you think you are. Somebody ought to give God praise today because the enemy is worried about your worship. The enemy is terrified of your praise. He knows the only hope he has is if he can surround you because he can't take you by himself. That ought to give somebody revelation in this place today. I'm doing better than I thought I was. I've gone further than I thought I had. God is greater in me than I thought he was. Victory is closer than I thought it was. Hallelujah. And so he sets up an ambushment, a trap. 
and he surrounds and he overwhelms. We find in 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad by name, uses the same tactic as the lion. Amen. The first tactic of the lion we find Ben-Hadad puts into play in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. If you would read along there and just kind of follow along with me. I'm not going to stop at every verse, but I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. Amen. Because it tells us here that Ben-Hadad attempts the preferred tactic of the lion, again, that being the element of stealth and surprise. In verse 8, we find Benadad, king of Syria, is warring against Israel. And he tells his trusted counselors, he says, in such and such a place will be my camp. Or in such and such a place I'm going to attack. Amen. In such and such a place. Now that term that is used there, in such and such a place is emphasizing the secret hidden agenda of the attack of the king of Syria. He's saying that nobody else will know it's top secret information. I will set my army in these locations and when King Jehoram, king of Israel, passes by, I'll jump out of the thickets. I'll leap out from the tall grass. My army will take him by surprise and the battle will be over before it even begins. However, the king of Israel has a weapon that Benadad is not aware of. Jehoram has a relationship with the man of God, Elisha by name. He has more than just a relationship with the man of God. He has a connection to the voice of God. Amen. He has positioned himself to be able to hear when God speaks. Can I tell you, not everybody is positioned to hear God when he speaks. Not everybody in this building today is positioned. God is going to speak today, and some of you aren't going to hear it today because you haven't positioned yourself to do so. But I want to tell you, Jehoram lived to see another day and overcame the enemy because of his connection with the voice of God. I may not be big enough to take the devil out on my own, but if I can just get a word from heaven, if I can just hear what God is speaking, the best thing you can do today is position yourself. To, if you're sitting next to somebody and they won't stop talking while the preacher's preaching, the best thing you can do is say, excuse me. Now, parents, if it's your child, you can't do that, all right? But excuse me, because God's about to speak to me, and I need to hear what he's going to say. I need to hear what God is going to say because I'm, I'm going through some things right now that if I don't get a word from God, I don't know if I can make it. That's the way I come to church every time I come. I need to hear a word from God. And every time, everybody say every time. Every time that Benadad attempts to take Jehoram by surprise, he's lying in wait in the bushes. He's lying in wait in the tall grass. It's in such and such a place. And every time he tries to take him by surprise, the man of God gives the king a word, and he says this, don't go that way. Tell your neighbor, don't do that. Tell your neighbor, don't go there. Come on, somebody. Are you, are you still able to be corrected by the word of God? Are you still able to, get, to, to receive direction from the word? Amen. I know we live in an hour and, and an era where nobody wants to be told not to do that and not to go there. But it might be just that God is trying to protect you from something. 
How many of your parents love your children? How many of you love them enough not to tell them, go, don't go run in the street? Well, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. More than their feelings is about to be hurt. Amen. We, we lo- because God loves us, the Bible says he chastens or corrects those that he lays. said, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't get involved with them because if you do, it's a sneak attack. The enemy is way. If you go that way, Jehoram, you're going to be destroyed. And surprisingly, sometimes that's why we put distance between us and the man of God, because we know we're not supposed to be going there. I know I shouldn't be doing that. So I, blah, 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 blah. Right? You ever done that? I didn't hear you. Every time Jehoram attempts a sneak attack on, or rather Benadad attempts a sneak attack on Jehoram. Every time the prophet warns the king, go a different way. Don't go that way. There's, there's danger that way. Don't go that way. There's an attack waiting on you that way. The Bible tells us in verse 10, it says, this happened not once or twice. Or as the New Living Translation phrases it, time and again, Elisha warned the king. In other words, many, many, many times. I want to ask you today, do you have a connection to the voice of God? Are you in such a position with the man of God and the word of God that when the word says don't go that way or when the the preacher says don't go that way, that you're spiritually mature enough to receive that word? How many times, show of hands, has the preacher preached on Sunday and God warned you to go a different direction? The preacher, the preacher didn't even know what you were going through, and yet he gave you a direct word that, that if you hadn't listened to the preacher, you would have ended up walking right into a trap. You want to know why that is? Because you've got the right connection. Amen. It saves us from destruction. Thank you, Lord, that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thank you, Lord, that you care enough about me to tell me don't go that way. And so the, the king of Syria is enraged. He's like, every time, man, it's a perfect plan, Brother Silvati. I got it. It's such and such. Nobody knows but my inner circle. It's a perfect plan. I've got it set up. I know the path that, that Israel's going to take. I know the way that Jehoram is going to go. I got it perfectly set up. And every time I've got the perfect plan set up, he goes a different way. He's enraged. And he suspects, the Bible tells us in verse 11, that somebody in his inner circle, the only people who know what such and such is, they know the names behind such and such. He says, somebody in my inner circle is telling the king not to go there. But one of his advisors speak up in verse 12 and says, king, that's not the case. Amen. None of us would do that, king. We're not telling. There's no leaks in your circle, king. Amen. CNN didn't get it from us. Fox News didn't get it from us. Your your, your circle is airtight. He said, I'm going to tell you how he knows because the man of God has been talking to him. And the man of God knows what you say in your bedroom. I want to thank you, Lord, that you don't tell me what these folks say in their bedroom. Lord Jesus, I please don't open my ears to understand or hear what they are saying. But Elisha, these, these counselors say The man of God hears what you're saying, and he is telling the king everything you say. 
And so Benadad, like the lion who understands, okay, I'm not going to take them out by surprise. I'm not going to be able to sneak attack and surprise them and overtake them. So he moves to his second tactic, which is the ambush. I'm going to call in my help. I'm going to call for help to come about. And so the king asks, where is this man of God? How can I find this voice of God that is keeping them from destruction? His advisors inform him that Elisha is at Dothan. Verse 14 tells us that they come by night and they come past the city of Dothan about. They put an ambushment around Dothan. Notice they did not ambush the king. They ambushed Elisha. They didn't ambush the the person they were trying to destroy. They ambushed his connection to the voice of God because the enemy knows if he can destroy your connection to the voice of God, you're done anyhow. Militarily, there's more power in capturing the king than killing him. Because as long as I've got the king, I can use that relationship for leverage. That's why Saul didn't kill Agag. Right? I, I need that leverage there. Alliances can be forged as long as the king is alive. Amen. I can use the influence of the king to, to help me with the people that, he, that I'm going to overtake, and now I'll be trying to lead them. Amen. And so the first ambushment of the enemy, uh, the first a- uh, attack of the enemy is with the intention of isolation. Everybody say isolation. The first ambushment is not meant to kill you. It's not meant to kill the king. Merely it is to separate the king. It is to separate you from the voice of God in your life. Because the enemy knows that if he can separate you from the voice of God, you are as good as dead anyhow. The moment he can get you, well, that's just a man up there preaching. You know, ain't nobody going to tell me how to run my family. Ain't nobody going to tell me how I got to live. Ain't no, hey, the, the moment that you are, you are now a tool in the hand of the enemy. He will use you to destroy your own family. He don't want you dead. You're more used to him alive than you are dead. Dothan. The Bible says that Elisha is in Dothan. And so Benadad sends, he roars, if you would, and calls the chariots and the horses and the armies, and he sends them to encompass around about Dothan. Anybody, does the name Dothan sound familiar to anybody today? Amen. Who is that back there? Brother Andre, you, you know it because you just preached, you just taught from it. But, but we're not going to give everybody that insight right now because it would destroy about a half page of my notes. Anybody, Dothan sounds familiar. In, in the USA, there are six cities by the name of Dothan. One of them in Alabama, my friend, very good friend, pastors a great church in Dothan, but that's not what I'm talking about. There are two other cities internationally by the name of Dothan, but that's not what I'm talking about either. No, in Genesis chapter 37, Jacob tells his favorite son, didn't Brother Andre do a great job today teaching a man from that passage? But he says to Joseph, his favorite son, his son dripping with anointing, his son destined with a dream pregnant inside of him. Amen. He says to his son Joseph, he says, I want you to go down to check on your brothers. I want you to go down to see how your brothers are doing working in the field. And the Bible says that the dreamer and the favorite son, he got out from under the watchful eye of his father Jacob. He wandered away from the protective. You see, your dream is safe as long as you're in the father's house. 
Your dream is in the right place as long as it's under the eye of somebody watching over you. But the Bible tells us that naive, unaware Joseph comes alone. He comes isolated away from the watchful eye of Jacob, his father, and he comes to Dothan. Amen. This place where his jealous, hate-filled brothers, amen, overthrow him. And their intention is to kill him and to silence his dream. I want to tell you, dreams do not flourish in isolation. They die in Dothan. Amen. Your dreams do not flourish when you are isolated. Isolated from the word of God, they die. I come to tell somebody today, be careful in Dothan. There is danger in Dothan. Be careful of spiritual isolation. Well, I don't need a preacher. I can do this thing on my own. They said to Moses in the wilderness, hey, we hear from God the same you do. Who do you think you are? And God smote a good number of them dead. Can I tell you, God has spiritual, God has a a chain of command that he's put in place. And, And can I tell you, ranking number one in the chain of command is the word of God. If you, can't, if you can't submit your life to this word, you're in trouble. You're living in Dothan. If you can't submit your life to the word of God, you are in a place where your dreams will be destroyed. And the enemy knows if I can just isolate you in Dothan, if I can just get you into a place of spiritual isolation, that's why he tells you nobody loves me. church don't love you, the pastor don't love you, the pastor's wife don't love you, the pastor's family don't love you, the church don't, that, that, all that is is the enemy trying to move you into Dothan because he knows if he can get you into a place of spiritual isolation, amen, your dreams will die there. Somebody ought to say today, I'm not going to Dothan. I'm not going to a place of spiritual isolation. You're not going to isolate me from the voice of God. No. There are three connections that you cannot afford to lose. Anybody ever lost cell signal? Like, what do I do? How do I live? No Wi-Fi, no cell signal, no Bluetooth. What do I do? Help, I don't know how to get home. I don't know my phone number. Somebody help. I don't know my own phone number. I just push that button on my phone. Three connections you cannot afford to lose. Number one is the word of God. You cannot afford to lose. Ben-Adad said, if I can just get him isolated from the voice of God, game over. I've got him. He's done. And it's amazing to me how many people come into churches every Sunday and they're totally disconnected from the word of God. Yeah, they might come to church and go through a religious ceremony, but this word has no authority in their life. Amen. You better get your life reconnected to the word of God. And I mean more than just having a Bible on your bookshelf. I mean your life submitted to the word of God. Submitted again. That means if the word says don't go there, then I'm not. If the word says don't do that, then I'm not. Hey, y'all are quick. 
we got to be connected to the word. If we're going to make it, amen, Benadad is laying in the tall grass. He's ambushed the city around about, and his intention is to separate you from the word of God. Because if he can separate, I don't care what your title is in the church. If he can separate you from the word of God, you're carnal. The second connection you can't afford to lose in your life is the man of God. I know it's self-serving for me to preach it, but I'm speaking about the office because Jason Staten may not always be the pastor here, but there will be a pastor here, and there will be a preacher that stands in this pulpit and declares to you the word of God. And if the enemy can get you sideways with spiritual authority, and the enemy can get you to lack trust in the man of God, if he can get you sideways, you will die in Dothan. He will ambush you and disconnect you, and then he'll take you by surprise. Hey, I want to lift up the hands of spiritual authority What does that mean? It means if my spiritual authority asks me not to do something, I'm going to trust them. If the, if the man of God says don't go there, I'm not going there. And the third voice that you cannot allow to be disconnected from is the voice of God. Now, a lot of people think that one comes number one. But I've heard a lot of people that thought they heard the voice of God, they heard pizza. They ate too much pizza the night before. And God told me I need to divorce my spouse and move in with this other person. God didn't tell you that. God told me that shacking up is a good thing. God, well, God didn't say, that's why the word of God goes first. Because the voice of God will never go against the word of God. God will never tell you to do something that his word tells you not. The voice of God will never tell you to go somewhere that the word of God tells you not to go. Amen. But the boy, I mean, you all have seen on the news, like, right, that person's like, God told me to kill my family. No, 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 no. God ain't tell you to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm. It might be a little ambitious of me to go out on a limb, but I'm going to just venture out there and say that wasn't God talking to you. Okay, because the enemy knows how to disguise himself to appear as an angel of light. The enemy knows how to disguise himself to tell you what you want to hear, but to project it so it sounds like God. If it goes against one or two, it ain't three. If it goes against the word and the man that God has placed over you, it ain't God speaking to you. Come on, y'all want to help me a little bit today? I know I'm, I, this ain't normal Sunday morning. Don't worry, we'll get there in a minute. Now, that's, that's not to say this third one is not important. It is, but in, in, in the proper rank, it, it is important. And this is your conscience. Anybody ever had just the voice of God speak to you and say, that's, that's not right, something's not right there? The voice of God speak to you and say, that just something doesn't feel right there. Be careful around that person. Be careful in that situation. And I'm not talking about this, you know, hypochondriac, fearful of everybody and, and you know, suspicious of everybody. That's what I'm talking about. But God will speak to your conscience. 
And here's what the danger is when you don't listen to that voice. The Bible speaks of a time when people will have a seared conscience. What is a seared conscience? Amen. It's Charlie Brown's teacher. God speaks and all we hear is want, 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 want. Right? God speaks and we've got a calloused heart because God has told us no. And we decided, I don't care what God says, Samson. Right? God said, don't go there. And what did it say? That's the first place he went. Right? Kept going back, as a matter of fact. And after a while, God just says, I'm going to stop talking to you then. If you don't want to listen, you don't want to obey, then I'm going to stop. And that's the most dangerous place you can be. And some of you think that's the most liberating place. Oh, God, finally stop correcting me. I I don't feel bad about this anymore. That's a terrible place to be. That means your conscience has become calloused. That means you can now do At one point in your life, you wouldn't have thought about doing that, and now you think nothing about it. Why? Because you've gotten so used to disobeying the voice of God that it doesn't even affect you any longer. Hallelujah. The first ambushment of the enemy is isolation, where the enemy wants to get you alone, where you're not submitted to the word, and you're not submitted to a man, and you're not submitted to the, you just do your own, you're the lone ranger riding right into, right into Syria's trap, right into your own destruction. But all the time, you think you, you know what's going on. And the enemy, that's, that's the first attack of the enemy is the ambushment of isolation. The Bible tells us the man of God prays and smites the Syrians that are ambushing them with blindness. And Elisha and his servant escape and they go to Samaria, which is where we pick up the next part of this story. And, you know, I, I don't know. I feel sometimes like I have a, a responsibility to tell you when I'm getting close to the end. But today I'm just going to let you wonder how close I am to the end. Overtime, that's right. Heads or tails. All right. The second step in the strategy of the adversary is revealed in verse 24. So he surrounds them at, 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 at uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of Dothan, thank you. He surrounds them at Dothan with the intention of separating them from the, the man of God. The man of God escapes and comes to Samaria. And now is the second strategy of the, if he can't get you through isolation, The Bible says now they're in Samaria and Elisha and the king of Israel are inside the city of Samaria. And now Benadad, king of Samaria, comes again and once again he encompasses them about. He ambushes them. He says, if I can't kill them through isolation, I will kill them through strangulation. I'll surround their city and create, create an environment where they can't receive anything from without. Anybody notice the, 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 the shelves on the, at the grocery stores are getting a little slim these days? The supply chain is what, the supply chain, I don't, whoever gets the blame for that, I don't know. I just know, I just want bread, and if it ain't there, I, I don't know who to blame. I just want bread. That's, that's bottom line, I want bread. And, and that was the tactic of Benadad. He says, I'm going to surround them so they can't get supplies in. They're going to have to live off of what's on the inside of that city. And after a while, if you try to live off of what you've got inside of you, you're going to starve to death. Amen. In fact, you're going to start, amen, uh, cannibalism begins to take place. Amen. We begin to consume, amen, things that we really have no business consuming. The enemy, the the, the king of Syria said, I'll surround their city. And when you can't get anything, when you can't get anything in from the outside, amen, you're going to be forced to depend on what is on the inside. 
We live in a spirit in this age that we are in now that propagates a doctrine that you are everything you need. That everything you need is within you. Amen. Little cute sayings on Starbucks cups. Amen. You are the hero that you need. Everything, all the answers lie within. And, and this is the theology of the day that we live in. Amen. That the strength that you need to overcome is within you. The victory that you need lies within you. Amen. That you possess everything within yourself that is necessary to survive and overcome. And so we promote self-love and self-sufficiency and self-dependency. The adversary is saying, if I can just get you into an environment where you're not receiving anything outside of yourselves, then I know in the end you're going to starve to death. You're going to die. Amen. We can't receive correction because of pride. It's a bad place when you can't receive correction. Proverbs 29 and 1, he that often being corrected hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. He that can't be corrected is going to set himself like, you ain't going to tell me what to do. And Proverbs said that man will be destroyed and there's no fixing that destruction. Amen. I don't ever want to be in a place where I cannot receive correction. I don't ever want to be in a place where I cannot receive instruction. You ever had somebody you tried to help them and they're like, no, no. But, but you're starving to death. Nah, I'm, I'm fine. I've got this figured out. What, that's arrogance. It's pride. We're not willing to receive help. Amen. We can't receive love as a result of bitterness. Somebody hurt us in our past and now because of that, we've got a walled off city. Ain't no love getting into this city. Ain't no love getting back in here. Once bitten, twice shy. I'm sorry, buddy. Amen. I, I, I'm never, I'm never going to trust another human being because such and such hurt me and so and so let me down. Can't receive joy because they're too busy living in depression. Amen. That, this is the second attack of the enemy. The second ambushment of the enemy is to cut off your ability to receive anything from the outside and to believe that everything that you need to make it to heaven exists within you. Can I tell you, salvation does not exist within you. Joy does not exist within you. Peace does not exist. Can I tell you where they do exist? They exist in the spirit. Amen. There's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And instead of trusting God, we lean to our understanding. Instead of searching the word of God for truth, we come up with our own truths. Isn't that the world we live in? It's relative truth. I'll believe my truth and you believe your truth. Problem is there's only one truth. I mean, you can say I don't believe in gravity all you want, but you jump, jump off the third floor and you, you, there's going to be pain involved. Amen. But, but this is the danger of Samaria. This is the danger of the second ambushment of the enemy is there's nothing coming in from the outside. That's why the Bible says you've got to guard your heart because out of your heart flow the issues of life. That's why when I come to church, I worship because worship opens up the gates of your city. 
Lift up your lift up your hands, O your gates. Lift up your hands, O your everlasting doors, and the King of Glory shall come in. If you come to church and you sit there with your arms folded and your eyes crossed and your teeth crossed and just about everything else crossed, you're sending a clear message, ain't nobody getting into my city. Then the answer is sooner or later, you will die spiritually. But the moment that you lift up your hands and you say, Jesus, I need you. The moment you lift up your voice and you say, Jesus, I need you. I don't know about you, but I don't have what it takes to win. But I know who does. If you have all the answers, pardon me, but I don't have any. But I know who does. I wish somebody would open up your gates right now. It's time to get some fresh supplies in. I'm tired of living off of yesterday's blessing. I'm tired of living off the yesterday's anointing. And if the enemy can turn you into a philosophical bump on a log... Where the whole time the preacher is preaching, you're sitting there with a a, a mental chalkboard analyzing every word he says. And you leave and your head is full of puzzles and questions and nothing new has gotten into your spirit. Don't you mistake, that is a calculated attack of the enemy. He's shutting off your ability to receive. But if you will reckon in your spirit and say, Pastor, if it's the word of God, I receive it. If it's the word of God, I receive it. Everything you need is in the Holy Ghost. Everything you need is in Jesus. I don't know what your family's going through right now, but the answer is in Jesus. I don't know what your finances look right now, but Jehovah Jireh is my provider. Somebody ought to open up today because your answer is coming. Larry, my help is on the way. My help comes from the Lord. I wish somebody right now would cast off that analytical mindset and invite the king of glory to come in. It is is imperative that we remain in a place where we can receive from God. Well, I was there last Sunday. Ain't the same as receiving last Sunday. I heard what the preacher said, not the same as receiving what the preacher said. The devil does not mind you coming to church. He'll put gas in your tank. As long as you stay distracted the whole time you're here. As long as the whole time the preacher's preaching, you're sitting there arguing in your mind. Well, that that couldn't be me. I know he ain't talking to me. Yeah, and you leave and nothing's changed. You didn't receive anything. The whole time you're here, you're thinking about what, you know, the trade your football team made. 
the, the, the status of your NCAA poll or, or brackets. The devil don't care if you come to church and that's all that's on your mind the whole time because he's got you ambushed. He's got you encamped around, but the moment you lift up your hand, and the moment you open up your heart, and the moment you begin to say, Lord, I need you. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The moment that you open up, I know you've been hurt before, but you can love again. I know you've been let down before, but you can get joy again. I know you've been hurt before, but you can get peace again. It is imperative that we keep our hearts and minds from being hardened to a place where we can't receive from God. Brother Andre did such a phenomenal job teaching this morning. Two important steps to why we've got to believe when we can't understand. And Brother Andre... As you were teaching, I was writing down, I want to be a sponge. I want to soak. I don't want one word you speak to fall on deaf ears. I want to, if nobody else gets it, I want it to soak into my spirit. And I write down notes so tomorrow when I'm in prayer time, I can look over those notes again because I know if Benadad ever circles my camp and shuts off my ability to get something from the outside, it's just a matter of time before I die. That's why, that's why I'm not ashamed to cry tears. Because tears are evidence that I can feel something. Some of you fight so hard, and I'm gonna cry. You're not gonna get me to smile. You got your gates so locked up. You're living off a 10 year old Holy Ghost. And the enemy's got you locked up, and you think you're spiritual all this time. Amen. The enemy is messing with your value system. The enemy is messing, amen, with your economy. The enemy is, that's what happened in Samaria. I'm going to touch on that in a moment. But the enemy is changing, and you don't even recognize it's changed because it's been so long. But today, the best thing you can do is say, I'm putting an end to this famine. I'm going to finish this famine, and I'm going to declare a feast. No, devil, you don't got me. You thought you did. But I feel Jesus in this place. I'm not ashamed to tell you, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the move of God. I feel the power. Aren't you afraid being a grown man, people are going to see you cry? No, I hope you do. I hope you see me cry because it means something's getting in. It means I'm not going to die in Samaria. It means there's a flow of the Spirit coming. I'd be worried. I'd be worried, preacher, about people seeing me. I get worried when it's been a long time and I haven't cried because it means my heart is getting hard. Because we all get hurt by people, yeah? Me and James do. James, me and you get hurt by people. The rest of them don't. We all get hurt by people. We all get let down. We all get disappointed. And if we're not careful, we lock up the gates. Samaria gets besieged, and 
all around us and we get nothing fresh from the inside. And so we're living off of what we've got left on the inside. There's a problem though because sooner or later you're going to run out of supplies. You only got so much within. You only got so many good ideas before you run out of them. You only got so much strength before you deplete your resource. Amen. But today if you would bust open the gates of your city and say, Lord, I'm ready for fresh supply. I'm ready for heaven. I'm ready for heaven. I'm just going to touch very quickly. You can't come yet, but just hold on. It messes, it messes with us. When, when, when the enemy surrounds, and, and the world we live in today is such a perfect image of what I'm talking about. We said, God, we don't want your word in our schools, and so we kicked him out. We don't, we don't want prayer in our schools. We got God. We've done everything but got rid of God. We don't, we don't want... A few years ago, it was proclaimed that America is no longer a Christian nation. We don't, we don't want God here. God, going about your business. America's got this on its own. We got this. And now look what's happening. Look at the values of our nation being flipped upside down. Amen. Look, look, look at the economy of our, I'm not talking about the price of gasoline and bread. I'm talking about the economy of values. Amen. The economy of morality. And we look at the world and we think the problem is the world. Let me tell you, it's making its way into the church. I'm fine, Pastor. A donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. Not, not a whole donkey. Not, not like the hooves and the, the legs. Not a running around donkey, just his head. 80 pieces. I don't even know if there's, first of all, a donkey was an unclean animal. They couldn't, they couldn't eat in a normal economy. But a donkey's head's probably got to be the least amount of meat on a donkey. And they're paying 80 pieces of silver. Dove's dung, which is exactly what you think it is. I like to tell you, well, the Hebrew, it's not written, it is. It's exactly what you thought it was. Four or five pieces of silver for dove's dung. And they're eating that. Can I tell you that the way of a transgressor is hard. When you shut God out of your life and you think you can make it on your own. And Benadad besieges your city. Amen. The cost is great. Values get all twisted. When you get cut off from your source. That's why we have churches embracing the homosexual agenda. Because they ain't had a move of God in their church. They wouldn't know what God was if he sat down in the pew next to him. Well, I just think we need to be loving. We do need to be loving, but we need to stand upon the word of God. Well, pastor, I don't think that's very kind. That's because your city has been besieged. That's because the enemy has you surrounded. If you get full of the Holy Ghost. But when the city is besieged, our values get distorted. We start buying things we never would have thought about eating. We start engaging in things we would have never thought of engaging in. Amen. Because that's what happens when Benadad surrounds your city. You start doing things you said I'd never do. You start leading your family in directions that you said I'd never do. Priorities start shifting. What do you mean? Well... Verse 26, two moms are caught up in a dispute inside Samaria. 
or the city is besieged and they're not getting any fresh supplies, what's their argument over? What day they're going to eat whose baby? One mom says, we made a deal. We said yesterday we'd eat my baby and then tomorrow we'd eat her baby. Is that even a conversation that sounds like we should be having? Priorities are out of whack when you're besieged by Benadad. Oh, well, that was back in Bible. Was it, was it, was it, was it? How about in Maryland right now where Bill SB 669 would prevent investigation and legal penalties, penalties for abortion at any point in the pregnancy and deaths caused by a failure to act up to 28 days after the baby is born. This ain't Samaria I'm talking about. I'm talking about Maryland. To where if you want to let your baby lie on a table and die because nobody's feeding it, up to 28 days you won't even be investigated. Let me tell you why that is. Because the city is besieged. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of the devil intimidating the pope. Some of you, some of you, even in the church, even in the church, there are some of you that would argue to defend that rule and that law. I'm going to tell you, you're of your father the devil if you would argue to defend that law. You're not of God. In California, in California right now, Bill 2, AB 2223 removes all civil and criminal penalties for killing babies born alive under any circumstance just because you decide you don't want them. Up to 28 days after they're born and in some cases up to a year after they're born. If you got the Holy Ghost, you can't even start to defend that. That's perversion. That's demonic. I'm going to tell you what that is. It's a result of the city being, and the church better have a problem with that. The church better be standing up saying, that ain't right. That is not right. Listen, I, would, I wouldn't do that to a squirrel. I wouldn't let a squirrel sit on the side of the road and suffer. If I hit a squirrel in the truck accidentally, I'd at least go back and put the poor thing out of its misery. I mean, I wouldn't hit one on purpose, but those things are crazy. I mean, they're just like, hey, there's a truck now, boom. But I'd go back for a squirrel and put it out of it, and you're going to let that baby lay there for 28 days? Abortion is legalized. Pedophilia has been normalized. Perversion is rationalized. Gender confusion is canonized. And morality and virtue are demonized. What, what, what is that all about, preacher? I'm going to tell you what it's about. Our, our cities have been besieged. Amen. The enemy, there's no Holy Ghost. There's no Bible in our schools. There's no prayer in our schools. There's no worship in our churches. There's no move of God in our pews. Hey, church, can I tell you something? We don't have any right to condemn the world if we're not getting anything fresh in the church. That's why we need a move of God. We need God. We need God. The answer for our world is not in D.C. The answer for 
for our world is not in legislation. It's in the church opening up the gates of heaven. So how, pastor, how do we finish this famine? How how do we declare tomorrow's feast? How do we... How do we put an end to spiritual scarcity? How do we loose tomorrow's feast and declare spiritual abundance? And this is, I I can't do this as a preacher on my own. Dads, you got to do this for your homes. Moms, you got to do this for your families. You got to do this for your own relationship with God. Very quickly, I'm ending with this point. There are three things that happened in chapter 7 that reversed the famine. Number one, the man of God stood in the gate of Samaria and the first words out of his mouth were, hear ye the word of the Lord. The number thing that we've got to do is get the word of God back into our city, back into our homes, back into our families. And let me say this, just, we think, well, I've got to interpret that word. I need to. I need to put a pretty metaphor. No, the word of God don't need our help. The word, just the pure, undefiled word of God. We need to wake up in the morning and speak the word of God over our family. Famine, you are not taking my children. Hear ye the word of the Lord. I'm going to speak the word over Gray Mills High School. I'm going to speak the word over Littertown High School. I'm going to speak the word over Chopticon High School. I, I, wish, I wish we could just get spontaneous. And some of you, amen, throughout this week, get your Bibles. You don't have to be ignorant about it. You don't have to make a scene. But just walk around the parking lot of Great Mills High School and speak the word of God. Open up your Bible and find a chapter and just start speaking. Hey, the word is powerful. The word will do things you can never do. If we're going to finish the famine, it's got to be the word. Amos 8, the prophet speaks of a time when there will be a famine for the hearing of the word of the Lord. We are in that time. We need to, well, pastor, I don't have a minister's license. Can you, can you read? If you can't, can you hear? They have audible Bibles. All you have to be able to do is declare the word of the Lord. All you've got to do is get in the middle of your home, in the middle of your family, shut Netflix off, and for the love of God, shut Disney Plus off. If you ain't canceled that yet, I pray the Holy Ghost will deal with you. Pastor's really feeling wild today. No, no, no. The world is feeling wild. All right, let me stay to my sermon. Speak the word of the Lord. The second thing the man of God does, music come. That's your cue. That's how you know I'm almost done. I I love what the man of God says, Brother James, after he says, hear the word of the Lord. The next word out of his mouth, tomorrow. Tomorrow. We got to start speaking faith. 
we got to stop talking about yesterday. we got to stop talking about yesterday's famine. And we've got to start talking about tomorrow's feast. Amen. You need to start speaking faith over your family. You need to start speaking faith over your children. We've got to start speaking faith over this church. We've got to speak faith over our community. I know it looks bad out there right now, but tomorrow about this time... You'll never get over yesterday's famine if you don't start talking about tomorrow's feast. I am going to be an overcomer. Tomorrow about this time, I'm going to be victorious. Tomorrow about this time, I'm going to be liberated. I wonder right now, Pastor, tell me what to say. You've got to speak it. What can you see God doing in your family a year from now. Oh, I don't know, Pastor. We, we, we struggle with this. and we, this, we got this problem. And as long as you keep talking about it, that's all you're going to have. I wonder if anybody could stand right now and start declaring what God is going to do. That's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I don't know how, but a year from now, about this time, we're going to be building that new phase over there. Pastor, did God give you a word? No, I'm just speaking faith. A year from now, God is going to be mightily using my daughters. A year from now, Aaron is going to be mightily being used by God. Oh, Pastor, you don't know. Aaron's got some problems in his life. You know, last week I saw Aaron doing this and that. And the, I don't want to talk about yesterday's famine. I want to talk about tomorrow's feast. Do you have enough faith to believe God for what he can do? I want you to open your mouth right now and speak faith. Speak faith over your family. Stop confirming what the devil said. Stop confirming yesterday's famine. Oh, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. Preacher, you don't know what I've been through. Preacher, you don't know what happened to me. Open your mouth and speak faith. The only way you're going to finish your famine is you've got to talk about the feast. I'm going to tell you, it'd be a sad thing if I had more faith for your child than you do. It'd be a sad, well, pastor, you're supposed to have, you're a parent. Your faith should be way beyond mine. And yet right now as I preach, I look out over these beautiful children and I don't see them for what they are. I see them for what God is going to do. Parents, would you join me right now in speaking faith over our children? Somebody have faith for Sister Scriber right now. Come on, somebody pray for Mother Scriber. Come on, Mother. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke this cancer in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, about this time tomorrow. I speak faith. Some of you, the enemy has you encamped around about. He's got your walls surrounded. It's been so long since you had a move of God. I'm going to tell you how to reverse it. You've got to start speaking faith. This next year is going to be the greatest year of my life. 
this year God is going to do things in my family that I never thought possible. It's time to finish your famine. Just one last thing and then I'm done because it's such a key part of it. Because we can speak the word of God and it's powerful. And we can speak faith and there's nothing like it. But four leprous men, if anybody had an excuse to say, just going to sit here and die. Anybody had an excuse. If anybody should have been the one to say, we don't, we, we, we're just going to sit right here and we're going to die. I, I think that was on purpose. I think God awakened the spirit of four lepers so that 3,000 years later, some of you in this room, that you think you're the least one that God could use and there's no way God could use me and I've got a messed up past and I've got a bad reputation and if you only knew what I'd done, you discount yourself every time God begins to move. That one leper looked at the other. He said, why sit we here till we die and took one step? And the moment that he took one step, God started, God started confusing the Syrians. God started sounding some noise in the camp of the Syrians and they began to disperse. Listen, we can speak faith and we can speak the word of God but somebody's got to take a step. Somebody's got to say, I'm tired of living where I've been living. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.